Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and let's get into 2024, why don't we? Happy New Year to you. Hopefully you had a, a fantastic holiday break. Uh, I did. I, I did, however, actually do a show on Friday. If you listen to the show via podcast or wherever, you wouldn't know that because I didn't publish it. It was just kind of one of those, you know what, there's a lot to talk about that's happened, and Friday really wasn't a holiday, so to speak. It was just kind of one of those days that kind of fell in between. So I decided, let's have a conversation uh, about some recent headlines, Nikki Haley and her continuing to step in the bucket, and then throwing the bucket into her face when she tries to kick it off. That was just glorious. Uh, Anyway, had conversations about that, and uh, Judge Steve Jones ruling to accept the Georgia GOP's redrawn maps that inexplicably really don't answer to his seeking for them to protect minority opportunity districts. He just rubber stamped it. Anyway, we spoke uh, on Friday on the show with Georgia NAACP chapter president Gerald Griggs. That show aired on America One Radio Friday and Saturday morning, and I think this morning, Monday morning, on America One Radio as well. So, A lot of folks have had a chance to hear that conversation, but those of you, again, who listen via podcast did not. So I'm going to just attach that to the back end of today's podcast if you'd like to listen to it. Now, before you start getting the sweats about all that listening all at once, I'm only going to give you the Gerald Griggs conversation at the back end of today's podcast. Yeah, don't want you to overexert yourself on just the second day. A lot of folks are back in the gyms today, right? And yesterday, too. Not me. I, I did that today. I have lost eight seconds on my mile. I do a mile run two or three days a week, and I try and keep it under nine minutes and 30 seconds. I'd gotten it down to 9.15, and then today, whew, 9.23. And I blame my friend Greg's tin of fudge. Why did you send that home with me? Um, oh, and, and maybe uh, my friend Dave's mac and cheese. Uh, that was Christmas night, that fantastic meal. Ugh. And I got to take a plate home, and yeah, so you see how things went for me. Anyway, I'm going to get that eight seconds back, but apparently not in one day. All right, later in the show, we're going to talk with author Dante King. Uh, he has been on the show a few times before, and we've talked about issues concerning uh, African-American voters. Uh, we're seeing some... Uh, as I'm sure you've heard me talk about before, some slippage in positive polling for the Democratic Party in general and President Joe Biden specifically when it comes to how they fare with African-American voters. We want to talk with him about that. And also the Harvard president announcing today that she is going to step down after just six months on the job. Claudine Gay making that headline earlier. I want to talk with him about that and what seems to be some serious pushback from the right and white heterosexual males when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So uh, I'm looking forward to having that conversation with Dante uh, in just a little bit. I do want to go back to Judge Steve Jones' ruling, cementing the GOP redraws of uh, State House, State Senate, and State Congressional, I'm sorry, State Congressional, Congressional maps. Uh, The first two Democrats have fallen by the wayside Uh, of, I'm sure, what will be probably a few more. The new maps drew some representatives into the same district with one another. Lucy McBath, by the way, announcing that she's going to run for the new 6th district. There was the potential for some up-and-coming Democrats to step into uh, some House races, and because of these redraws, many of them have stepped back. Uh, Greg Bluestein writing, several up-and-coming Democrats angling to run for a new seat have made clear they won't go toe-to-toe against McBath. Among them, friend of the show, Cobb Commissioner Jerrica Richardson, who announced a bid for Congress before the lines were redrawn. In the long run, the GOP tinkering with McBath's seat could wind up bolstering her reputation as she prepares for a potential 2026 run for statewide office. Uh, Greg continuing, McBath can tell donors and activists she's so feared by Republican leaders, they've repeatedly tried to carve her out of her district. And if she's successful in 2024, they will have represented, she will have represented millions of voters in three distinct parts of Metro Atlanta, the state's most important Democratic bastion. Mm. Anyway, the, the first two Democrats to fall by the wayside, 
Um, Representative Doug Stoner announcing via Twitter today that, or X, whatever we're calling it, that uh, he will not seek re-election to the Georgia House, uh, as well as Greg Kennard uh, in some uh, earlier social media posting. As a matter of fact, Doug Stoner announcing, after careful consideration and thoughtful reflection following Judge Jones' decision to uphold the Republican redistricting maps, State Representative Doug Stoner has announced that he will not seek re-election in the new House District 42 in, in Smyrna. The statement continues, the decision comes after Judge Jones' ruling that the 2021 legislative maps violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and Republicans' redrawn maps that forced Representative Stoner to be drawn into the same House district as Representative Terry Anulowitz. Representative Anulowitz, by the way, has been on the show as well. Mark Neese at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution noting that Doug Stoner and Greg Kennard, who represents Lawrenceville, uh, were among eight state representatives paired in districts during a court-ordered redistricting of Georgia. Six of the representatives forced into competition with their colleagues are Democrats. Two are Republicans. Mark goes on to write that Stoner said he would make way for his Democratic colleague, uh, Terry Nolowitz. It has been an incredible honor to serve the people of House District 40. I have known Representative Nolowitz for over 20 years as we have served together in the legislature and on the Smyrna City Council. She will serve my former constituents in the new House District 42 well. Uh, Greg Kennard saying he was deeply disappointed that Georgia's new political map would have forced him into competition with more minority whip Sam Park, a Democrat from Lawrenceville. Kennard saying, Whip Park has been a really good friend and shepherded me through the legislative process. He was the first person I spoke to back in 2017 when I was considering running. He's a really important voice down at the Capitol, so my heart would not be in a race opposing him. Terry Nolowitz uh, praising Doug Stoner, saying, I look forward to continued collaboration with Representative Stoner on behalf of Cobb County through 2024. I look forward to strengthening my relationship with the residents, businesses, and other community stakeholders that are joining House District 42. So here's where I pivot. And I, I mean, we, we can sit here and admonish Republicans for doing what they've done. And actually, Judge Steve Jones as well. I'm still just completely perplexed by his... I don't want to say lazy because I think it's an insult to someone's credentials who is, I mean, the man's a federal judge. He's kind of earned the right to be there and, and, and maybe not be second guessed. But at the same time, it just felt lazy. Like, yeah, that'll do. Like I, I, you didn't follow the letter of exactly what I said. And I wasn't stern enough in what I said and give you explicit instructions. That's all I can figure. But yeah, that'll do. I just feel like he rubber stamped this instead of digging in his heels and, and maybe just the pressure of having maps done in time for primary. I just don't know. I, I And he had until I think late January to really dig in on this. I, like I said, we could sit here and, and revisit that or, or finger wag Republicans for again doing the partisan gerrymander. But at the end of the day, what, what Democrats, I think, need to start speaking to and if any year is the year to do it, it's 2024 with so many issues affecting voters across ideological spectrums and demographics and uh, incomes. I think Democrats have to make the case that this is literally not democratic, not little d democratic, anti little d democratic. We have waxed nostalgic for and, and 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 wanted to spread democracy around the globe, and yet we don't really do it here. We don't. The only time democracy really plays a role in this country is when you are electing statewide offices or a Senate seat. Otherwise, at the federal level, you've got the nuances of the Electoral College, which means we don't actually get to pick who's going to be president. Otherwise. Hillary Clinton would be in her second term, I would presume. I mean, maybe not. Maybe it wouldn't have worked out. The American population tends to get a little bored with either political party if there is a 8 to 12 year run. We saw that happen in 2016 where a lot of voters were like, yeah, the Obama thing was okay, but my life isn't dramatically better, so let's try something different. But in just about every other facet of our election process, we don't get to enjoy the fruits of democracy. Your school board seat, your county commission seat, your city council seats, uh, our, our house district seats, our Georgia congressional seat, uh, at, at, at every level of government, these, 
these maps are drawn in most of the cases by politicians who choose the block of voters they want to represent instead of letting a block of voters choose who they want representing them. We're, we're seeing Democrats carved into districts at the expense of the districts that somebody had to leave constituents behind to get rammed into the other district. It's not democratic. And this is the argument that I think Democrats have to figure out a way to craft the message so that it really hits home with voters. You miss Roe v. Wade? You hate the Dobbs decision? I mean, the Electoral College gifted that to the minority. Do you know we've actually had House election mid-year terms where (laughs) one party got the majority of votes in all combined House races and still didn't have a majority of seats in the House? That's happened. And and listen, I know that that's just a little two-year blip here and there, but two-year blips when you figure a Senate with or without its filibuster and depending on who which party has control of the White House, those are long-lasting decisions and ramifications. And we're going to talk later with uh, author and assistant professor Dante King, author of The 400-Year Holocaust, about how exhausted, in particular, black voters can be when it comes to political engagement. And I think, in large part, we all get exhausted when we're fighting a fight, when we're trying to see democracy play out, when the will of the majority should be empowered and yet oftentimes isn't at all. That's not democracy. We talk about spreading it around the world and we don't employ it ourselves. We don't see, well, I say we, our leadership doesn't seem to be all that passionate about democracy here at home. And we have the audacity, the temerity to send representatives to other countries, to other budding democracies, to show them how it ought to be done. The arrogance, right? So yeah, Democrats have to make that case, but they also have to say, listen, this can't just be us doing it here in office, because obviously there aren't enough of us in office to fix it. We need more of you showing up on election day to put more of us in office to fix it. And I know there's a lot of disenchantment. Uh, Democrats haven't really delivered. But Democrats can't deliver without enough seats. They can't deliver if they don't hold the House and if they don't have a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate, which is like next to impossible with normal election turnouts. There has to be extraordinary turnouts for that to happen. And you got to do it, not just in the presidential cycles. You got to do it in the off-year cycles too. Yes, you're exhausted, but you need to put in six to eight to 10 good years of effort into voting folks into office that are going to get this country on the right track and embracing democracy. And hey, if that sounds like a long time or it sounds arduous to have to show up to vote every two years, y'all, the American Revolution in and of itself was eight and a half years. And it was a war. It wasn't just a bunch of cycles of voting. Roll up your sleeves and get to protecting and saving your country like real patriots did. Hell, at this point, I would settle for eight and a half years of our stewardship at the ballot box. Yeah, that's that's three good cycles, presidential cycles and the off-year cycles with it. Yeah, you know what? If we just devoted eight and a half years towards getting our country on the right track, by God, I think we'd have it on the right track. More on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the first run show of the year 2024. Appreciate you listening. Happy New Year to you. Uh, next segment, I'll be joined by author and professor Dante King. He is the uh, professor, assistant professor of medical education at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science, also guest faculty at the University of California, San Francisco, and author of the book, The 400-Year Holocaust. We're going to talk about President Joe Biden and Democrats in general uh, lagging poll numbers with African-American voters. And I definitely want to get his reaction to the uh, breaking news today that Claudine Gay stepping down as president, uh, resigning from the office at Harvard University. Diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, cancel culture. Uh, well, I mean, if that's not cancel culture, I don't know what is. Um, anyway, get his thoughts on that in just a little bit. So y'all, folks are freaking out on the right about what they see on TV when they are waiting for the ball to drop New Year's Eve. 
Uh, first of all, let's start with uh, this one. The the party of Kid Rock shooting up Bud Light cans doesn't like when rock musicians not named Ted Nugent are getting preachy with them. Green Day went on uh, ABC's, what is it, New Year's Rock and Eve, Ryan Seacrest thing, and changed the lyrics to American Idiot uh, from Redneck agenda, agenda to MAGA Agenda, and the pearl clutching just commenced on high. Uh, unnamed female anchor, I don't know her name because she's filling in for Maria uh, Bartiromo on Fox Business, opining with... Um, it's just lady's name, Sharice uh, Trump from Speech First. They were having a conversation about Green Day changing their lyrics and making it political. American Idiot was a political song all along, y'all. Anyway, listen to this back and forth. Targeting MAGA supporters. Right, and I think that it's imperative that we start to define what they mean when they say MAGA agenda. What does that actually mean? What does that look like? Does that mean lower crime? Does that mean actually secure borders? Does that mean a better economy? Because why would you, maybe he is raging against the machine if that's what he's actually asking for. So actually, Cherise, uh, crime is really low. The economy is in statistically great shape. And I mean, the border situation has to be one of those that you have to have two parties in a two-party system actually come to the table and want to work on. And your tribe just wants to throw Band-Aids at cancer. Like, you don't want to fix what's causing the situation at the southern border, which would be the destabilization of Latin American countries, of which, by the way, the United States bears a lot of responsibility for over the last 125, 200 years or so, but uh, can't, can't bring up responsibility because we don't apologize for nothing. Remember, we're Americans. And then the, I don't know her name, Fox Business Blonde comes back. Yeah, well, I mean, and you know, they, that song, the original song, was actually a post-9-11 song uh, because the band at the time was upset about how, what was happening overseas and the Iraq war and all that. Uh, but, you know, they've, and it's, it's, they're probably their biggest hit. Way to gloss over our invading a sovereign country for not domestic interests, which was eventually highly unpopular, but okay. Oh, and lastly, as a former radio DJ and station manager, not even close to being Green Day's most popular song. But now, to change it, to, to just con- to continue to make it political, you know, you're just alienating people. Yes, again, but when it's Kid Rock or Ted Nugent, the named or unnamed, and I'm, I'm saying it's unnamed because they didn't put her name in the graphic below for me to tell you what her name is. Feel free to at me, at Ron Show ETL, to remind me who that uh, fill-in hostess on Fox Business uh, in Maria Bartiromo slot was. I just, anyway... <laughs> When it's Kid Rock or it's Ted Nugent or it's uh, oh, John Schneider. Oh, this breaks my heart, y'all. I, I think I knew when I was a, a little eight, nine-year-old boy, and I love watching the Dukes of Hazard. I think I knew I was gay because <sighs> Bo Duke. And I've met John Schneider. He's an incredibly nice guy, but oh, come on, dude. Don't go MAGA. He's gone MAGA. Okay, and so the other thing that drove people into a tizzy, <laughs> the same-sex kiss on CNN. And no, thank God it wasn't Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper. <laughs> Don't want to see that. Uh, so at midnight, ball drops, the first kiss we see, an interracial same-sex couple, and folks flipped their lids. At N Wokeness on Twitter X, the very first moment of 2024 was an interracial gay kiss curated for public consumption. Mm. Well, of course, other typical MAGA responses. 100% they wanted that ish front and center. Uh, brought to you by Staged Indoctrination, the majority of media is woke. Why do they always do something worse than you could possibly expect? This is disgusting. Pushing, quote, the message at any given opportunity. Sick. Obviously, I can't let you listen to what a kiss sounded like, and they didn't go or anything like that. But listen, I want you to listen to the audio from this house party that was watching CNN when the ball dropped. This is how uh, thinking it's cute or maybe indifferent sounded. There's the kiss. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I don't know who's going to in the back. That's hilarious. But can you just imagine what those who thought it was disgusting? I mean, what did they go out and take a six pack of some woke cans of beer and just obliterate it with their AR-15s just to get it out of their system? How disgusted they were. by. And by the way, not that I'm one to score kisses or anything like that. You know what? I think I'm, you know what? We're not going there. Um, <laughs> two, two plus years of divorce. I was sitting here trying to think, when's the last time I had a kiss? Um... 
I watched this kiss and I thought, first of all, it was a like a sweet kiss. A, a, not a not a peck on the lips. Not one of those slide by, oh, look, it's just two guys kissing or two girls kissing. And by the way, the reaction would have been totally different if it had been two girls kissing. We know that the maggots would have freeze-framed that bad boy and slow-stilled it if they weren't, you know, two masculine females. You get what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, I watched this kiss, and it was not a peck on the lips, not a passing little mm, smooch or anything like that. It was passionate. I thought quite romantic, and not going to lie, I was a little jealous. Yeah, and by the way, they were both super handsome because, of course, it's New York City, and if you're going to be on CNN and be the first public gay kiss of 2024, you damn well better be hot. And I'm sure Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper may or may not have had a role in that, but I digress. Anyway, Dante King joins us next to talk about Biden's lagging poll numbers with African-American voters and the sudden resignation of Harvard President Claudine Gay. When the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Welcome back. We have been paying attention to poll numbers. You know me, I like to fret over poll numbers. I think it literally should be something I put on my hobbies and pastimes. Fretting over poll numbers. An Associated Press uh, story notes that fewer African-American voters support the incumbent president, Joe Biden. Just 50% of black adults say they approve of Biden in the December poll by the Associated Press and the NORC Center for Public Affairs. That's compared to 86% in July of 2021, about a year and a half ago, with the gap fueling concerns about his re-election prospects. So we're left wondering, what's driving this decline in the president's support among black voters? Well, joining me to maybe provide some insight. And it's not that we haven't gotten some insight from others uh, before on this matter, but I like this guy. He knows what he's talking about. Author, Professor Dante King is here to share his, per, uh, his perspective. He's the Assistant Professor of Medical Education at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science, also serving as guest faculty at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine, taught courses for Stanford Medical School and Johns Hopkins. I should go to him when I have medical questions, really. Also director of workforce learning and development for J.P. Morgan Chase and has worked as an HR business and learning consultant for Wells Fargo. Oh, by the way, Dante's also the author of the book, The 400-Year Holocaust. Dante, how are you? I am well. Nice to be back with you. Yeah, thank you for uh, taking some time out of this conference you're doing in Hawaii. I have questions about this conference in Hawaii. Um, Who schedules a conference in Hawaii around the New Year's holiday when it's like 20 degrees in Georgia and 78, 80 degrees in Hawaii? That just sounds really convenient, not going to lie. It's the the Hawaii International Conference on Education, Hmm. and it just happened to fall right at the New Year, so I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> Dante, talk to me about these poll numbers. Are they something to be concerned about? Or is this one of those things where we don't have our eye on the ball and the family comes home in time to to, to, to reelect the, the slate in 2024 come November? Well, I, I think that they are something to be concerned about because I, I, even as I speak to friends and family members of, of mine, people are not as engaged in the political process as they have been in years past. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are many reasons um, why that may be. Go ahead and tell me the reasons and because I've got all, I've got this whole segment for you. (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, if if I'm just kind of looking at where we are um, in terms of economically and in the, the lack of movement, I would say in terms of black people uh, and and our representation Mm -hmm. um, inside of many of these institutions, especially in managerial, executive, C-suite positions. And I think uh, people who are in the workforce are exhausted. Black people um, are are exhausted. Mm. Um, I think we saw what happened with uh, the Supreme Court around affirmative action. Um, That caused a lot uh, of of agitation um, in the black community. I think um, in a lot of the larger cities, I am from the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area. And when we look at uh, what's happening with people who are under-resourced, unresourced, uh, unsheltered, um, there are, there's rampant um, homelessness or, or people who are, are experiencing um, being unsheltered and unhoused. 
And it's, you know, we have a Democratic um, Congress, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Um, and it's just sort of, right? Um, we, we've had a Democratic president before. We thought so much would change uh, when Barack Obama was elected president. Um, and I think to a lot of Black people's dismay, um, not much changed. And I, I think there's so much emphasis placed on the office of the presidency um, with, within the Black community, but also in other um, communities as well. And, and that, that position is not necessarily um, where m- so much of the emphasis should be placed. However, I think it's just tr- a traditional um, way in which we've approached, you know, revering that office or the, in the ways that that office is regarded. Um, and so Black people are not necessarily, while, so, while much of the emphasis shouldn't be placed there, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because Black people are have been unimpressed with what happened during the Obama, Obama administration, um, and also because there's a lot of um, f- fascination with celebrity yeah. concerning Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, and he's, his name, his presence has been ingratiated um, into the Black community over the last few decades when it comes to being someone's being who's seen as an icon um, in terms of a successful businessman. He's referenced, for instance, in songs by Young Jock. Um, he was referenced by Nene Leakes in the on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. So he's he's uh, developed a a presence that that black people connect to. And I think he's a tr- he's been able to attract certain members of the black community while the Democratic Party, has not been able to maintain its uh, grip or or influence um, on on members of the black community. I'm saddened to hear that, and and I say that because I gave the anchors at Fox News uh, a, a bit of a, a finger wag when Donald Trump and his entourage were roaring down the Atlanta highways and streets for him to go in and get arraigned in a jail cell. Uh, because the Fox News anchors, I want to say it was the five, maybe it was Greg Gutfeld's show, whatever it was, where they were like, well, you know, now you, you see there are people on the street waving at him, and this gives him street cred with the black community because he's been arrested. I thought that was kind of gross and, and just racist on its merit, and yet you, you tell me that there, there is some credence to him having some celebrity status nonetheless. Well, it, it's vehemently racist. You and I both know that. But it's not, you know, what I'm suggesting about Donald Trump's influence and relationship to the Black community is no different than that of Ronald Reagan. Mm. Uh, the influence that Ronald Reagan had on um, white people mm. <laughs> back in the 70s and 80s when he ran for president, the presidency, mm. you know, one failed time, but then he was successful. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also similar to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and, you know, I think we understand it could and, and could I would be willing to bet that had he not been a movie star, he would not have been able to uh, become elected as governor of California. He had a a well-known presence. Right. So this is not anything that is just specific to black people. But in terms of that whole jail comment, that's extremely uh, vile and, and racist. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we look at um, the way that white institutions in America, in terms of entertainment institutions, erected and constructed Donald Trump's um, presence as a successful entrepreneur, as a businessman, which we all, how- which we all know, was a facade, a ruse, a lie, really. <laughs> right. Right. And yet and still, that was the narrative and that was the picture that was um, developed mm-hmm. concerning this man's um, character and, and who he is. And so people have be, people became rather um, enamored by him uh, and what he represented, his brashness, mm-hmm. um, his, you know, East Coast swag, mm-hmm. um, his ability to say whatever he needs to say to um get attention and to get to gain support from people 
um, as well as, you know, him waving, you know, being put on the Forbes list or in all of that. Like he became something uh, uh, of an icon in popular culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that is that is his appeal, uh, regardless of how he, um, you know, regardless of, of how he fashions himself mm -hmm. after dictators, how he fashions himself, um, you know, above the, the constitution of the United States, above the legal system, negating all of that, you know, he's still able to, like, I don't know where we are right now. And I think that's why so many people are disengaged from this process because he was able to become elected president of the United States. He's able to run still, even mm -hmm. with being um, convicted of rape, even with, you know, doing what he did on January 6th, mm -hmm. um, violating laws, um, you know, edging, edging people on to commit violence against lawmakers. Um, all of these things have happened, and yet and still this man is still, you know, showing himself as all-powerful in, in a sense. So I think so many of these things have Black people exhausted. Um, there's a lack of belief. I know, I know. Um, I, I do. I, I, that's palpable. I feel it. I can sense that. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to the aftermath of the 2016 election. I don't know. I'm sure you remember the article. Uh, New York Times reporter Sabrina Tavernis went to Milwaukee, and I believe literally sat in a barbershop to listen to folks talk about the aftermath of the election. Uh, they did not choose to vote or chose not to vote for Hillary Clinton, and they had no regrets about it. But I want to fast forward to here we are seven plus years later, and all that has happened since uh, November of 2016, the Supreme Court you brought up has swung from a slim GOP 5-4 majority now to a 6-3 majority when it could have gone the other way had we had a collection of about 80,000 voters show up in uh, Wisconsin in Michigan and Pennsylvania who just didn't feel it because as you after uh, you pointed out after the Obama presidency of 8 years there were a lot of African American voters who didn't feel like their life had significantly changed but couldn't the argument be made that by sitting out that life has been significantly altered since 2016 and not to an improved state for African American voters in this country absolutely and that's why I was um you know, emphasizing previously that, you know, there is an overemphasis on the presidency, but then in some ways, you know, we, we need, we need, we needed to have someone in that position in that office who could have um, influenced a, a, a different result mm. on the Supreme court. Um, and because of a lack of understanding around, you know, just our civic engagement, the way that, which I don't think that it's taught in in high schools, the ways in which it was taught when I was in high school. I agree. Um, and, and so people don't necessarily understand the significances of these different branches of government. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I just don't know if even when I listen to Democrats who are trying to, you know, arouse people around the political process, I don't hear a lot of them that speak in plain language. Mm -hmm. And so the the messaging is off. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there could be a lot more done to improve messaging. They could uh, be doing a lot more to not just uh, go into areas um, that they don't are not are, are not going into in terms of lower class areas mm -hmm. or, you know, dealing with people who are not just working class or middle class, but even people who um, may feel as though they're they've been left out of American society or out of the American dream, so to speak, um, but they need to do something to reach the broader swaths of, of people who who would typically vote democratically. But the other the other uh, issue is that okay, so once you get our votes, then what then will you do for Black people? We're still having a conversation. Yep around reparations that's not 
materialized into anything substantial at all. It's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, I I have a guest who's going to be on the show Thursday, and that's about all we're going to talk about because we've gone back and forth on social media about that. And he's not wrong. It's just a matter of political realities. And and again, you talk about being plain spoken uh, about these complex issues and knowing how uh, our process of government works and how sometimes it doesn't and how missing midterm elections can really affect these sort of outcomes and trajectories. Yes. And to to your point about the Supreme Court, right? When mm-hmm. we were looking at, for example, Hillary Clinton, which was the 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 one of the biggest mistakes in history for her not to have been uh, elected as president. Um no one was messaging that hey, all of these issues are up for grabs. Like that should have been a conversation 5 years before uh the the Hillary Clinton uh, campaign or before the t- the 2016 election, you know, abortion rights are on the table, voting rights are, are, are you know, on the table, affirmative action, mm-hmm. like all of these should have been um, messaged uh, like ferociously and they, they just weren't. And so I don't think people understood um, the significance of Donald Trump, all, all that that would uh, entail or mm-hmm. all, the, all that would ha- occur. Um, by him being elected into, I, the, into the office. I liken it a little bit to like being in a battle where you've got two armies and sometimes people don't get uh, excited about the fact that they hold the line versus going on the offensive. And sometimes holding the line is the victory. It's an unseen victory, but it's a mm-hmm. victory in and of itself. And I don't think folks get excited by holding the line versus making progress, further progress on issues of importance. We are with... Uh, author and assistant professor uh, of, of all various things. Look, I gave you about a three-minute bio at the start of this, uh, but I've got to wrap real quick and to take a break. Come back with my friend Dante King to talk uh, more about these polling issues and the Claudine Gay story as well when the Ron Show returns here on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show. We're back with author and professor Dante King. Dante, author of The 400-Year Holocaust. Also, uh, he is an assistant professor of medicine, I'm sorry, medical education at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science and guest faculty at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. So we're talking about uh, lagging poll numbers for uh, Joe Biden and Democrats as they head into the 2024 election cycle. And there are a lot of things that Democrats and and the Biden presidency can tout to black voters, namely who's on the ticket, uh, Kamala Harris. He can also tout uh, record low black unemployment, uh, inflation finally, you know, slowing down to a a sense of normalcy. But at the end of the day, I see this all the time because I work in residential real estate. Folks are barely keeping their nostrils above water with expenses. And to tell them, hey, uh, inflation is now normal again. Well, that doesn't undo the past two years of inflation. And I can sit here and explain away how inflation isn't necessarily like Democrats or Joe Biden's fault and how it's much better in the U.S. than it is uh, in the rest of the world. But at the end of the day, it, it's it's the it's the meal table discussions about the family budget that really uh, propel people to vote if they're going to vote. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and inflation, you know, as we've seen, no matter what, which president we have, it, it's going to continue to rise. That's just the state of, you know, supply and demand, yeah. um, not just in our country, but around the world. Um, so, yeah, I, I did also want to say that I think so much of the the lack of engagement around the political process is is due to an exhaustion that stem that also stems from um, uh, people having taken democracy and having taken liberty for granted, mm-hmm. um, thinking or assuming that because we you know have been given these rights because certain legal precedents have been set in the past, such as Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Um, that these things were always and would always just exist as they were because, hey, these precedents had been set. Um, there was no recent history of um, those types of legal precedents or, or liberties being reversed. Um, and p- people just took them for granted. And I think to understand and see what 
Donald Trump's effect as president, but also the Republican Party's um, influence in in where we're going and, and all the things that are happening, even with book banning, um, with you know the 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 woke law or or anti woke law in Florida. Um, no one thought or or could have envisioned that we would be here, that we would be attempting to confront or, you know, fight against these types of issues. And yeah. yet these things are are before us. And I, I think people now are run have somewhat of a sense of urgency or it's um it is energizing people to to with a sense of urgency. Um, but I do think again there's a there's a people who are tired uh, and disengaged and then there are some of us who are being re-energized because we're kind of flabbergasted about, yeah, <laughs> about yeah. the state of, yeah. of what's happening. Yeah. And, and messaging, I think, I think we both agree is an issue. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the attack on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I know you have an HR background. Uh, and the uh, the recent, I, I call it the running off. I think they chased her off, uh, President uh, Claudine Gay at Harvard University. Uh, you want to speak to that a little bit? I got about three Absolutely. and a half minutes or so. <laughs> Absolutely. So it, to my mind, what's going on with President Claudine Gay was likely and always going to happen because this is what occurs um, with with Black people um, all the time. And I'm not just saying that it's specific to Black people, but it most, uh, more, most, uh, more than likely happens more or most uh, concerning Black people. And so they weren't able to cancel her or uh, destroy her based on their disagreements uh, with the comments that she made concerning anti-Semitism and her not going far enough. So they took another approach. Um, and it, it's reminiscent to me, and I always go back to this example, but of Dr. DeWitt Buckingham, who in the 1940s challenged the uh, Supreme Court's decision around racial restrictive covenants. Then he moved into a, a upper-class affluent neighborhood in Berkeley, California. And this man was a doctor. He was a physician. He had worked in World War II. And he uh, challenged the courts. And both courts ruled against him uh, concerning his his ability to stay in in the home. And so he was going to have to move. But in 1948, I believe it was, there was a Shelley v. Kramer decision, which uh, came along and the Supreme Court actually ruled against the earlier 1926 precedent concerning the racial restrictive covenants. And they ruled that those covenants were no longer enforceable through the courts. Mm -hmm. And so what ended up happening is Dr. Buckingham was able to stay in his home. Yeah. Okay. But because they weren't able to force him out that way, the, the, the federal government, I believe under uh, Jagger Hoover actually had him investigated and they had uh, had him investigated and convicted of tax evasion. And they sent this man to prison. My point in mentioning this story to you is that they will find a way mm. to destroy black people. This is what American institutions are about. And I really feel uh, bad for her. Yeah, I was actually just going to go back to how uh, the American political system treated Barack Obama when he was president. The uh, rampant use of the filibuster and racial tropes and questioning his very legitimacy as a U.S. citizen. But uh, that's a that's an interesting effect. I wrote, I wrote that down. I want to read up more about uh, Dr. DeWitt Buckingham when I get a chance. All right, Dante, listen, you're in Hawaii. You've got this conference, I assume, to go back to and maybe some other free stuff to do in Hawaii that, uh, you know, involve warm weather and such. So I, I won't keep you any longer. I want to thank you so much for joining me on some important conversations today on The Ron Show. Thanks, my friend. I appreciate Always it. Always a buddy. pleasure. Same here. By the way, I, I kind of undersold that book that uh, Dante wrote. It's called The 400-Year Holocaust, White America's Legal, Psychopathic, and Sociopathic Black Genocide and the Revolt Against Critical Race Theory. Uh, we've had him on a few times before to talk a little bit about some of the tenets in that book and some of what it covers. So it's always good to have uh, Dante on the show. And I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of impressed that he took time out of Hawaii, for crying out loud, to be with us today on The Ron Show. All right, that's going to do it. Hope you guys had a great New Year. Happy New Year. On to 2024. Let's keep going here, all right? Back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, and wherever you podcast. Show notes at RonShowETL.com. 
Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so I thought I was going to take the entire week off, and then Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley'd, and Judge Steve Jones did his thing, and I thought, I got to do a show today, right? And since I'm going to be off Monday, this is just going to re-air on Monday anyway, and it'll be pretty relevant because I think we'll be talking about this into the new year. Uh, and, and joining me to have these discussions is the president of the State Conference of the Georgia NAACP, Gerald Griggs, who, by the way, is taking a break from packing and moving. Thank you so much for taking a break from packing and moving to do the show. I feel like I didn't have to convince you too hard to do that. No, you didn't, Ron. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And anything that takes me away from you know, moving is always a good thing. So uh, yeah. I'm ready to have this conversation. So is, is this one of those deals where you, you, you bought a nice new house in a, in, a, in a neighborhood that you're excited to move into or what? Yes, exactly. Awesome. You know, we are uh, going to be welcoming a new bundle of joy uh-huh. in the spring. So we need it more room. Oh man, that's great. I'm so happy to hear that. And, uh, also happy to, to hear folks that are, are still doing the, the real estate thing. I do that on the side. Well, I say on the side, that's my, uh, that's my bill paying gig. And, uh, Hasn't been a whole lot of activity here of late, but now interest rates are coming down. But that's another conversation for another day. Let's talk. Uh, Judge Steve Jones kind of, I think, caught a lot of us left and right by surprise by just signing off on all three uh, new redraws of Georgia General Assembly, House, Senate, and congressional maps. What what was your instant reaction? My instant reaction was, you know, he kind of split the baby by going along with the, the maps and, you know, the maps in some respects are good and in some respects are not. And, you know, as the NAACP, our concern is to, you know, to decrease the amount of voter dilution, Mm -hmm. black voter dilution throughout uh, the state. They did that in the metro area. But of course, we know Georgia is bigger than just metro Atlanta. So we expect more litigation to address the uh, continued dilution of black uh, voter strength power throughout the state. So it was it was a mixed reaction. So talk to me about what you're happy with these new maps uh, from the NAACP standpoint. What what pleases you? Well, what pleases me is, you know, they have created um, uh, two new black majority districts, which is, you know, exactly what we wanted to happen. Um, but, you know, what's displeasing is it needed to be done throughout the state of Georgia and not just, you know, Metro Atlanta and, and around making bib. So. Um, you know, there are some things that need to be worked on. Of course, you know, the NAACP is, is nonpartisan, so it doesn't matter whether or not, you know, it benefited the Republican or the Democratic Party. Right. We wanted to benefit the, the voting power and the ability of African-Americans to make their uh, selection of candidate of choice. And so with that, we are happy that there were the creation of two new uh, districts, but we wanted more. So I know it's not part of the NAACP's purview to weigh in or advocate, but is there any concern that there seems to be a dilution of voting power for other voters of color, whether it be the AAPI, the Hispanic uh, American vote? There, there seems to be a, a little bit of uh, uh, of a breaking up of the, uh, in particular, the AAPI vote in Gwinnett County. Yeah, that's definitely a concern, and, and that's a further concern um, that they kind of took, you know, the mixed um, minority districts and of course, the Supreme Court and other circuits are starting to weigh in on that, whether or not you can, you know, you can um, combine minorities and create a district. Um, but they kind of um, chop that up. And that's a very big concern of us. You know, of course, we represent all people of color. Mm. Uh, so that's a definite concern. And, and that's why we continue to say that more should have been done to to elevate the, the voting power of, of all minorities as, as Georgia moves from a majority state to a minority majority state, Mm. we have to recognize that, you know, the voting power of all of the minorities have to have to be, um, you know, asserted. And that's why we're concerned about uh, the attempts in the federal court to limit uh, those mixed um, districts where you have, you know, uh, one set of minorities and another set of minorities who all make up the majority, but they're not drawing voting districts um, that can um, implement that that uh, substantial uh, power of that vote. So from your perspective, is the fight for new maps in Georgia over going absolutely into the 2024 not. cycle? No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, we had our case that was pending 
before Judge Jones, and we had broader claims than the uh, than the uh, Alpha Phi Alpha and uh, Six District AME Church's claims. And so we're hopeful that we can still proceed on our claims of not just a voting rights uh, issue, uh, a Voting Rights Act issue. There was also a 1983 claim and some other claims uh, that we believe uh, will be successful. So no, the fight is not over. It's just beginning. Gotcha. So in the last couple of days, uh, Nikki Haley stepped in a bucket and in trying to shake the bucket off of her foot, just keeps hitting herself in the head with the bucket. Uh, <laughs> I think that's probably about the kindest way I could I could put this. Uh, she yes. was asked by uh, what uh, a lot in her camp and Republicans in general say was a Democrat plant at a town hall, a question about the origins of the Civil War and hemmed and hawed and avoided the word slavery. And then came back the next day and said, well, of course, the Civil War was about slavery, but then went on to talk about greater concerns other than slavery during the Civil War. Uh, it's breathtaking to watch someone continue to step into this bucket, right? Yeah, I mean, the mental gymnastics that are happening right now <laughs> over the quintessential issue that caused the Civil War, which is slavery. And I mean, we know that's clear through the secession documents mm -hmm. of a majority of the Confederate states. Uh, but for politicians in 2023 to have a difficult time saying full-throated that the war that was 150-some-odd years ago was not about the issue of African chattel slavery and whether or not the southern states would have the ability to continue that peculiar institution is appalling. Mm. You know, as a son of the South, as somebody that's a sixth-generation Georgian, whose great-great-great-grandfather was a slave in this state, mm. it's disrespectful to our heritage. And politicians need to understand something. If you're trying to appeal to a base, you might want to appeal to the largest base. What do you, what do you mean when you say that? I'll put it to you this way. African-Americans have chosen the last three presidents, mm -hmm. and they will continue to choose who is the president. So for you to disrespect the heritage of individuals who helped build this country by not accurately reflecting what happened is disrespectful to one of the largest bases of voters who consistently exercise their power at the ballot. So I think for Ms. Haley, she needs to recognize she's not running in South Carolina anymore. She's running in the entire United States. And I'm sure that Jordans will have something to say when it comes down to that selection in the presidential primary here and then, of course, uh, in the general election. It's fascinating. I lived in South Carolina for 11 years and uh, all of uh, Nikki Haley's uh, governorship. Uh, I remember how the fight for the removal of the Confederate flag off the statehouse grounds went. A lot of folks want to give her credit for that. But I, again, I was there. I lived there. I remember what that was about. This was uh, her way of placating those who were calling for uh, stricter gun legislation by kind of pivoting and saying, well, fine, I'm going to give you this, which she should have done all along uh, as an answer to the uh, Mother Emanuel AME mass shooting. I, I just find it fascinating that that's something that she wants to use as a crown jewel for her civil rights accolades. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And as somebody who is a person of color and whose father taught in HBCU, mm. she should know better. Mm. She should know that there are certain things that you just don't say. Mm. The myth of the lost cause needs to die. And for individuals in this century to be talking as if two centuries ago, something appalling didn't happen in this country is, is just it, it, it boggles my mind. You know, nowhere in, in Germany would they say that. You know, the Holocaust happened because of individual freedom or something else. So we should not be saying that the Civil War wasn't fought over anything else than the attempted and continued enslavement and genocide of black people. And that's the thing, like the word salad that she's been using the last couple of days, she keeps talking about liberties and freedoms. But what about the liberties and freedoms of those who were shackled and working on farms as chattel slaves? Yeah, I mean, the, the liberties and freedoms that we're talking about is the liberty and freedom to own another human being. So I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand how this increases her ability to become the president of the United States. I don't know how this grows her base. All it does is inflames the passions of individuals 
who forced this nation to recognize their humanity and won a war. This was a war where 600,000 Americans died. And so we don't need to rehash this. We need to understand that insurrectionists, both in the past and in the present, need to be punished so it does not happen again. We're with Gerald Gregg, state chapter president of the Georgia NAACP. On that note, and again, I know you, you, you work for a nonpartisan organization, but what do Democrats who have started to see some erosion with black voters, what do Democrats who are running for office or running for reelection need to do to strengthen their partnership with the African-American vote? I think both parties need to work on policies that improve the condition of working class African-Americans. Both parties need to address the systemic lack of investment in African-American communities. Both parties need to work on their messaging about what they do the three and a half years between election cycles to give actual deliverables. And both parties need to start talking about the R word. If we want to talk about the Civil War and what happened to cause Civil War, you got to talk about reparations because the people that were uh, abused and enslaved, Mm. still their family, their descendants have not been fully repaired. And so I think that both Republicans and Democrats need to come up with a plan that they can implement that lifts the the millions of African-Americans in this country Mm. into a place where they truly are embraced in the fabric of this nation. And so I think that either Nikki Haley or President Biden or Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis need to stop with the dog whistles and the wink winks and lay out a plan for black America. If they lay out a plan for black America that includes reparations, that includes uh, uh, substantial economic investment in all of our communities and not just, uh, you know, every once in a while we'll give here, we'll give there you'll see a base that is very loyal and that our super voters turn out the same way they turned out for President Obama, the same way they sat home for President Trump, and the same way they turned out uh, for uh, President Biden. But what we need as a community is for politicians to realize Black people are not a monolith. Mm-hmm. They have ideas. There are, they are, I know many conservative African-Americans who feel like their voices are not heard. Mm -hmm. I know many liberal African-Americans who feel like their voice is not heard. And I know many in the middle that get sick and tired of hearing that suburban white women changed the course of Georgia history. It was not suburban white women in the metro area that changed the course of Georgia history. It was black people showing up to the polls in record numbers. And that's why you see the the rampant uh, voter uh, uh, suppression that's going on in Georgia. That's why you see the need for uh, us to um, stop this racial gerrymandering and to make sure that we have fair districts where people can exercise their voice for their candidate of choice. I think policies that address those, address education, address health care, and ultimately address growing the middle class mm-hmm. will turn out voters and not playing to uh, some base that wants to re-litigate what happened in in the 1850s and 1860s. I'm uh, encouraged to hear you talk about reparations in such a passionate way. I've uh, been going back and forth on on a social media uh, debate about reparations and how to go about it. And there seems to be some discord, some disconnect, uh, folks wondering why uh, like a House vote wasn't taken on just having a committee, also knowing that a House vote can sometimes be a poison pill for moderate Democrats. There's political realities versus... You, you know, needs that need to be met. So uh, it, it's it's a delicate conversation. It's it's a matter of threading the needle. It's also a matter of having the votes in the House and the Senate to accomplish uh, that sort of stated goal and, and, and encouraging folks to show up not just every four years, but every two years. Wouldn't you agree with that? I definitely agree with that. And, and that's why, you know, organizations like the NAACP and others uh, have always talked about in a robust terms, the repair of of African-Americans and people of color. And I think that we have to have this, this conversation. I mean, this is the only group of people that have been enslaved uh, in this country mm-hmm. uh, that has not been made whole. And so when we're having this conversation, if we're talking about moving forward into the next generation, we have to repair um, the 
the brutalities and the evils that occurred a few generations ago. And so I think it's time for that conversation. I know some politicians don't have the political will, uh, but if we can send uh, millions to, to Ukraine, mm. uh, we can send millions to the African-Americans who actually vote. Mm -hmm. And so um, we can send, you know, all kinds of reparations, pack reparations packages. You know, many people in my community are advocating for cash payments. I think that's an option. Mm. Others are, are advocating for tax breaks. They're, they're advocating for increased investment. So there's a host of ways that this can look. But what needs to happen is that we need to moderate the voices that are just being racist and start talking in real intelligent terms about the true repair of a people that have been brutalized on this soil, not only by uh, slavery, uh, but by redlining, by Jim Crow, and now by Jim Crow 2.0, which mm. is the continued suppression of votes. More with NAACP State Chapter Chair Gerald Griggs when the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. You're either listening on Friday, over the weekend, or on New Year's Day. In either case, I'm just going to go ahead and wish you a happy New Year's. Thanks for joining us. With the recent judicial ruling on Georgia maps and with Nikki Haley stepping in the bucket and then kicking herself in the face with the bucket several times trying to shake it off. I figured this would be a great opportunity to talk with Georgia State Chapter President of the NAACP, Gerald Griggs, joining us, by the way, while taking a break from packing and moving because he and the missus are expecting a baby this spring. All right, let's get back to the conversation so that you can get back to helping your wife do that packing and moving. Would you say that the gaffes and the missteps... Uh, I find it ironic that Ron DeSantis' camp wants to attack Nikki Haley, uh, you know, given the uh, the tools and the and the skills that were learned uh, on the plantation, according to his folks. Uh, but uh, but do you find that like these sort of missteps actually provide an opportunity for us to talk about the miseducation, the diseducation of uh, American history over the years, and some of the textbooks used that uh, senators like Marsha Blackburn and Lindsey Graham learned from that were rewritten by the Daughters of the Confederacy and uh, how Reconstruction was derailed. Do you see this as, a, as an opportunity to sort of actually turn and say, well, maybe we should be learning a little bit more about uh, a, a critical view of race relations and our history in this country? Absolutely. And especially after 2020, where we you know reached a racial awakening, mm. I think it's time to have this conversation. So I think it's always a teachable moment. And, and here's the thing, you know, if Nikki will stop doubling down and listen to the people that were most affected mm. in her own state mm. that are now talking. Um, she can learn and grow and potentially be a politician that speaks to all of the people. And so I think it's a it's a teachable moment. It's a time that we can, you know, erase the, the myth of the lost cause. And, you know, here in Georgia, we know better than anybody else uh, that we are still dealing with the repercussions of the United Daughters of the Confederacy. That's why we have the largest shrine to white supremacy in the world, mm -hmm. namely Stone Mountain, mm -hmm. that, is a that is a Confederate monument. But we need to have this real conversation that paints the full picture of American history. You know, the most beautiful thing about American history is we get an opportunity to get it right. And so I think if the politicians will stop pandering to a very loud, but yet very small, majority of the american people and start educating all the rest of the american people mm. you will see the true spirit of america because we all came here as my friend uh john lewis always said so eloquently we all came here uh in different boats some of us on a boat some of us under the boat mm. but we are all in the same ship now and it's time for us to recognize that our white brothers and sisters and our brown and black brothers and sisters have the same experience of dealing with daily life. And it's time for us to have the same experience on what repair looks like. Because here's the thing that people don't talk about reparations. This could be an economic engine that drives the economy because black people are going to reinvest in this country. And so it could drive the economy more than it would drag the economy. And that's the conversation that needs to happen. Imagine if, you know, hundreds of thousands of African-American families now had a large amount of capital to reinvest in businesses, mm -hmm. to reinvest in, in, in community, reinvest in schools, what that would do to the American economic engine. 
And I, w- I would say we, we probably have to discuss how, how to do it where it doesn't, in fact, uh, uh, impact inflation. But that, again, another conversation for another. I've suggested yes. all along that, that uh, folks like Nikki Haley need to sit down one rainy Sunday afternoon and watch from beginning to end uh, Henry Louis Gates series, Reconstruction America after the Civil Absolutely. War. That's a, that's Absolutely. a, a fantastic PBS Sunday afternoon for me a few times anytime I see it on the grid. And here's, here's one last idea right. that they actually tried uh, and needs to be brought back. The Freedmen's Bureau, mm. the Freedmen's Bureau was a bureau specifically created to repair the damage that had been done. Now, it only lasted for about a decade right. because, you know, after Reconstruction and deal was cut and then we went backwards into Jim Crow and all that other things that happened and to get us to where we are now, there was an attempt. So we need to go back to that attempt. We can all sit down and craft out ideas about what that attempt looks like. But there needs to be an attempt, and I think the Freedmen's Bureau uh, would be a good idea to bring back. I'm I'm all about you know getting back to the radical Republican program uh, in the Reconstruction era if we want to you know work with Republicans on something. Hey, if the Republicans want to become truly the party of Lincoln, <laughs> yeah. they need to start acting like Lincoln. I agree a thousand percent. Right now, and again, as the NAACP, we're nonpartisan, but we are political, and we will call out both parties. Mm. And right now. That party is looking more like Southern Democrats of, of a bygone, a bygone era, era yep. the Dixiecrats. Mm. And so they need to change their message and maybe they will uh, be able to get more support from the African-American community, which is one of the most loyal voting blocks in America. All right. Well, listen, uh, I don't want to get on your wife's bad side here by letting you off the hook from uh, packing and moving a little bit more. So I'm going to going to have to let you go, sir, but I do appreciate the time. Gerald Griggs, chapter president of the Georgia NAACP. Get back to work. All right. Thank you, brother. It's always good talking to you. Same here, buddy. Have a good one. Speaking of moving and packing and and changes, you know, coming for uh, Gerald and his family with a a baby on the way in the spring and the new house that they're moving into. Can I just mention, by the way, that mortgage rates have fallen by like one and an eighth percent in the last few weeks. For example, if you uh, are buying a $350,000 house and maybe you put 10% down, your principal interest payment was about $2,275 a month. Today, it would be around $2,000. You would be saving about $250, $275 just because mortgage rates have gone down the way they have in the last few weeks. That's over $250 a month in savings. Or maybe gives you the ability to buy over $30,000 in more home with interest rates being what they are right now. I I say all that not to make a political pitch, but also to make the pitch that right now, there aren't as many people looking to buy houses as there will be in the spring and in the summer when we expect mortgage rates to come down even lower. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you can't refinance when the rates do get low enough for you to do so. I bring this up because as we head into a new year, folks are making plans. They're either expecting a child, uh, getting engaged, getting married, relocating for a job, maybe graduating school, and they know that buying a place or moving into a place is on their radar. Well, now is going to be a fantastic time to get a jump on the competition that's going to be making offers on houses along with you later in the year. Maybe get a jump on it now. Feel free to talk to me if you'd like. I'm a residential realtor with the XP Realty. The name is Ron Roberts, at Ron on the Real on all the socials. 404-919-2725 if you'd like to reach me directly. By the way, Georgia MLS 396720. Have a happy new year. We'll see you in 2024.